Good morning. We're back, and we're back here, and glad that you're part of this live stream gathering. And we're also this morning back in the book of First John. First John chapter 4 is where we are. I'd invite you to join me in First John 4. If you are not as familiar with different books of the Bible, you can find First John easily by going to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, and going backwards uh, a few different pages, and you'll hit the, the book of 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, and I want to read the first six verses, as that's the portion that we'll look at today. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, and we could supply the rest of the phrase, does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, is not from God. In fact, this spirit is, is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They, the false spirits and the false teachers and the false prophets, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We, John referring to himself and the other apostles, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. On January, January 1st, 2020, you very well may have said something like this. This year in 2020, I'm going to avoid sugary drinks like the plague. And you would have meant nothing of it. But now when we hear that phrase, avoid blank like the plague, we hear it very, very differently. I'm going to use that phrase today in the sermon a number of different times. I'm going to do that with sensitivity because I know that there are some in our church body and there are some who may be watching this who know someone who has contracted this virus and it is not funny to them. And I assure you, I am not using it in a cute or trendy or humorous way. As we've looked at this subject matter, John is, is deathly serious about what he's saying here. And so, when we think about avoiding something like the plague nowadays, we have a very real understanding of how vital it is. That's why I've entitled the message, Spiritual Distancing. Because John's whole push here is to put distance between us and harmful teaching because that harmful teaching is actually coming from the Antichrist. So I'm not trying to be cutesy this morning. I'm trying to bring us in a very real and current way to understand how seriously John 
takes false teaching the way right now we are very seriously taking how much we should avoid this current novel coronavirus. My big idea, the takeaway, the way you could summarize this message is this. Avoid false teaching like COVID-19. Avoid false teaching like COVID-19. I think you got the idea in that. And I want to reinforce that by looking at verse 1, where we're going to isolate the imperatives. I know that's a strange way to say it. Hopefully it catches your attention a little bit here at the beginning. Imperatives are commands. Imperatives are mandates. Imperatives are things that we must do. We have some imperatives in our world right now. Our imperatives are that uh, only essential businesses may be open. And if you're not one of those essential businesses, the imperative, the command, the mandate is that you cannot be open. Uh, There are numbers of others. We know those. I'm not going to go through the list. Well, John has given us the mandate or the imperative right in the first verse. And I want to draw our attention to those right away. As we look at this phrase, excuse me, as we look at this verse, we notice that John is giving them this mandate out of love. How does he start? He addresses them with the kind word, beloved. That means someone loves them. We love you. We wish we could be with you. This right here is the best we can do. It's our best expression of love. For John, he was writing a letter. It was his best expression of love when he was not together with them. But his love was still the same. He loved them. And he knew that God loved them. As we've read this book and studied it already up to this point, we know that that John is wanting to remind them again and again and again of God's love for them and the lengths to which God went to show that love. And we'll see even more next week. They are beloved. As Paul, uh, John, excuse me, as John is opposing false teaching here, he's not doing it as some sort of heresy hunter. He's not just out there looking to inflate his fame and get attention because he brings down the latest false teacher. No, John is loving these people and he is being their shepherd. He is being the the under-shepherd that Jesus commissioned him to be. A few weeks ago, we said that shepherds don't scratch wolves behind the ears. And that's, once again, what John has referred to. He's warning about false teaching again in this book because he wants these believers, probably in the church of Ephesus, to avoid false teaching like a plague, as we should avoid false teaching like COVID-19. His, his motive here is love. And as he communicates to them, he says two things. Do not believe. That's the first command. Do not believe every spirit. And the second is test the spirits. When he says do not believe, he means do not trust every spirit. Uh, He says, do not entrust yourself to every spirit. He he wants them to be aware that there are many false prophets who've gone out into the world. He wants them to instead test. 
He wants them to experiment. He wants them to compare, and, and he'll give the basis for that in a moment. You and I understand testing very well right now because right now there are numerous labs and numerous corporations who are testing medicines to come up with a vaccine for COVID-19. We've already seen a number of ways in which they're trying to use other drugs. They're, they're testing uh, HIV medications. They're testing malaria medications. Even some Ebola medications have been tested. And, and as they test them, they're finding that some of them work and some of them don't work. The jury still seems to be out about hydroxychlorine, and I probably mispronounced that. Uh, there is a lot of testing going on because we don't want to put the wrong medicine into people's bodies. We don't want to make a bad situation worse. That's where we are as humanity spiritually. We are born in a bad situation, and false teaching makes a bad situation worse. And John does not want that for these people. We need to focus on testing for vaccines. And as Christians, we need to focus on testing the teaching that we hear. John, Jesus excuse me, tells us to do that in the book of John, chapter 7 and verse 24. He says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So many people love to quote Jesus and say, judge not that you be not judged. And Jesus did say that. But Jesus was speaking about those who hypocritically judged. What he wants us to do is to make an evaluation that's good for our souls. Paul himself wrote something similar in 2 Corinthians 11. He said this in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. We've got to test this. Jesus says don't judge by appearances. Why? Because, because false teachers can come in looking and sounding really good. No, uh, Paul tells us again in 2 Corinthians 11, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You know, the, the, the core message of the Bible is to trust God, to put your faith in, in God because of what he's told us. So by nature, Christians are supposed to be trusting people. But in this verse, John tells us not to trust. He tells us not to trust every spirit, but test them. As the ESV study Bible says, the Christian faith is not spiritual gullibility. The Christian faith is not spiritual gullibility. So we need to be people who are testing what we hear to make sure it matches up with the truth. Now, I know that when, when Christians start to talk about truth, sometimes that message can be misunderstood because it sounds hard, it sounds rigid, it sounds narrow, 
It sounds unloving. But the book of 1 John mixes truth and love and weaves them in and out continuously. I want your eyes to glance back at the end of chapter 3, where John writes to us about loving each other. He talks to us about uh, loving one another in verse 23, and whoever keeps this abides in God, and we have the Holy Spirit. We go back up to the earlier verses, even the, the section heading, verse 11 on down, is about love. And then in chapter 4, he comes to truth. And next week, we look at verse 7, and it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love and truth are not separated. No, in, in God's reality, in which we are supposed to enter in, love and truth are mixed together. Love and truth, we could go on and on in a philosophical sense. I'm I'm not going to do that. But for those who say you have to choose either love or truth, they're giving us a false choice. What they're actually doing is they're splitting Jesus in two. Hear these words from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the word or Jesus' glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of love and truth. We don't have to choose between being people who love the truth or love people. No, we can be like Jesus and bring those together. By the power of the Spirit who lives within us, we can ask God to recreate us in the image of Jesus so that we love the truth and we love people. And John gives us such a wonderful illustration of this. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, my beloved. All right, let's get to what uh, John is talking about. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3, and we're going to notice the teachers who are from God. Maybe as I was reading earlier, uh, you noticed how many times the little phrase from God is used. Four different times in these six verses. And what we find out is that there are those who are from God, and those who are not from God. And we're going to look in verses 2 and 3 at the teachers who are from God. Let's read those. By this you know the Spirit of God. Uh, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Here is in John's day, in that situation, the the doctrine, the teaching that needed to be tested. They needed to have teachers who affirmed that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. We know this is part of what John has been writing about because we go back to John, 1 John 1 and verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that which we have seen and heard, he says down in verse 3, we proclaim to you. There was something going on there in the church, and, and, and we get real clarity now here in chapter 4. There was some teaching going on in the church that said that Jesus was born a human and that at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And at that point, 
Jesus received deity as the Son of God, and, and he had that deity for about the three years of his ministry, and just before he went to the cross or on the cross, depending upon the iteration, the Spirit of God left him, and he was no longer uh, the God-man. He was no longer 100% God and 100% man. This is a denial of the earliest pronouncements of Jesus to Mary and Joseph. When, when God spoke to them through the angel, he told them that the child they were going to have was, was, was coming from the Holy Spirit. His conception was miraculous. Mary is a virgin when she has Jesus. Jesus is the God-man, declared to be so even before he was born. This is something that we as Christians have, have thought about and taught for centuries, but we've not been able to explain it very well because the Bible calls this a mystery. In 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. How do God and man come together? We don't know, but here's what we do know. The full humanity and the full deity of Jesus is not simply some quirk of theology that God imagined so he could befuddle us and just confuse us. No, it is the matchless wisdom of our God to bring together humanity and deity in his son Jesus. Why would he do that? Because in his humanity, Jesus can be tempted and in his deity, he can resist the temptation. In his humanity, Jesus can die in place of sinners. And in his deity, he can likewise rise in place of sinners from the dead, as was mentioned numerous times today, as we celebrated so specifically last week. The, the humanity and deity of Jesus come together not just for our salvation. They come together for our ongoing life. They come together for our sanctification and for our comfort, because in Jesus' humanity, he is able to empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses, with our temptations. He's able to empathize with the, the, the constant bombardments of life. And in his deity, he is able to comfort us in a way that's beyond human comfort. In deity, he's able to comfort us in the midst of real hurt and real guilt, going into the deepest parts of us. This is why we hold on to the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus. And once again, as John does so often, he makes this huge dividing line between truth and error. Those who deny that Jesus is God come in the flesh are not just slightly mistaken, they have the spirit of Antichrist. They are what John referred to back in chapter 2, verses 18, 19, 18 and 19. I'm not going to go back and read those. But, but John is saying that the spirit of Antichrist is pervasive in our world and obviously one day will culminate in the Antichrist coming. And one of the ways the Antichrist manifests himself and the way the spirit of Antichrist permeates us is by spreading the lie about who Jesus is. You see, Bible Christianity contains unalterable objective 
truths. Our faith is not merely knowledge, but it is not less than that knowledge. There exists either the Jesus of divine revelation or the Jesus of human imagination. And the Jesus of divine revelation is the authentic product. And the Jesus of human imagination is like something you'd find hawked on big city streets. The Jesus of human imagination is cheap. He's trendy. He's flashy. He's attainable. But ultimately, he's useless. The Jesus of divine revelation is priceless. The Jesus of divine revelation is better than you could have ever hoped for. The Jesus of divine revelation is enduring. The Jesus of divine revelation is the pearl of great price. You may not understand him. You may not be able to explain him. But you need him. You know, Jesus never let people draw their own conclusions about him. He did ask what people's opinions were, but he used those opinions about him to redirect people's thoughts so he could shape their imagination of him. Yes, there are many applications of who Jesus can be for us. Jesus could be the bread that sustains your life. Jesus could be the shepherd who guides you in difficult ways. Jesus could be the friend that you need in your darkest hour. But there is only one interpretation that Jesus gives of himself. There is not your Jesus and my Jesus. There is Jesus. And we either accept him for who he is, or we disbelieve what he and his followers have taught. Now, you may say to yourself, I'm I'm not tempted to believe that Jesus was God at some times and not God at others. And, and, and that's good. That's good. What John is doing for us is he's giving to us a false teaching in an instant of time. And he's telling us to not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Because there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. There are many ways in which people get Jesus wrong. Let me just give you a few that have cropped up throughout history. We're not going to talk about all of them, but I want to zero in on a couple at the end maybe. There have been false teachings like this one. Faith plus observing ceremonies of the law is how a person grows in Christ. That's not the right spirit. We need to not believe that spirit. There was teaching that said that there is no resurrection of the body. There was an erroneous teaching that put an emphasis on what's called asceticism. That's where we deny the body's appetites to be closer to God. Uh, Some falsely taught that Jesus' deity came and left him during his lifetime. That's the one we're looking at here in 1 John. Others falsely taught that there is a secret knowledge of God that goes beyond Jesus, and we need to search for that. Some erroneously taught that Jesus only appeared to be human. There have been times in church history, and it continues to this day, where some have taught forgiveness of sins can be purchased with money. Forgiveness of sins is only purchased by the blood of Jesus, but some taught forgiveness of sins could be purchased by money. In the last 125 to 150 years, 
There have been erroneous teachings about the Bible. The Bible is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we need to not believe that spirit. We need to test that and reject it. Others have taught, because it's not inspired, that the Bible has serious errors of science or historical fact. Some have taught more recently, in the last 150 years again, that Jesus' second coming will appear on such and such a date. Actually, that teaching is not simply 150 years old. 500 years ago, there were people trying to to nail down the date of Jesus' coming. We don't know the exact date of his coming. And then a, a pervasive false teaching in our day is that Jesus died to give you health and wealth in this lifetime. Jesus may give you health and wealth in this lifetime, but Jesus did not give all of his believers health and wealth in this lifetime. He died and rose again to give us health and wealth for all of eternity. And it's a false teaching to declare that we can claim health or wealth now because we're in Christ. That's the spirits we should not believe today. What will it be 10 or 20 or 30 years from now? We don't know for sure. What we do know is that we who teach here at Bethel Baptist Church must be careful that we are teachers from God. We who are pastors, we who are ABF teachers or Sunday school teachers or youth group leaders or Awana club leaders, we must be comparing what we say to what God's word has to say. You, my friends, need to be testing the spirits, testing the teachers that you listen to on the radio or on podcasts or on TV. There are many who appear good, but that does not mean that they are good. Their, their message must agree with the Bible. How, you might ask, can I be sure that I'm not tricked or duped into false teaching? Well, one of the best ways to avoid the destruction of false teaching is to continually affirm the truth. And that's what we seek to do Sunday morning in and Sunday morning out. We repeat many of the core doctrines of the Bible because we want to unite genuine believers and we want to create a barrier between us and false ideas. We, we want to practice spiritual distancing, so to say, because it's imperative that we avoid false teaching like the plague. It's necessary for us to repeat these doctrines, to repeat things that we quote-unquote already know, because we want to disinfect the air of our souls so that nothing dangerous gets lodged there. You may get tired of our repetition, but my friends, we repeat for the benefit of our own souls and the benefit of yours. And last this morning, we'll look at verses 4 through 6. We'll look at listeners from God. We as teachers must be bringing the message from God, but you as listeners, well, you are from God as well if you put faith in Christ, and you have a responsibility also. Look at verse 4. He starts out by saying, little children, you are from God. How comforting for every believer. That phrase from God means you are God's descendant. You have been brought into his family. You've been born again of the Holy Spirit. God is your father. And what is he going to say to these little children? Little children, you're from God and you have overcome them. You've overcome these false teachers. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When, when John says that they've overcome these false teachers, he's saying they've been victors. They are Nike uh, type people. The word Nike is uh, from a Greek word that means victory or overcome. And, and so we are so familiar with the word Nike. And it's an overcoming army of children. Now, when you and I think of an army of children today, it makes us shudder because it's despots who send children into battles to be machine gun fodder. It's a, it's a small man who will send children to go fight his wars. But in this case, God the Father is not sending us into battle against false teachers just to get mowed down. No, he is sending us with the Holy Spirit himself. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why are we victorious? Why are we overcomers? How can we be winners? We're not winners in and of ourselves. We're not winners because we were so savvy and discerning and smart. We're winners because God has given us the spirit to lead us into truth and to remind us of truth and to protect us. The Holy Spirit gives us, as one commentator called it, a built-in spiritual instinct. You see, you're not the one who's greater. You're not the victor. The Holy Spirit is. And the question really comes to us is, why would God make us win? You see, in Ephesians 2, 2, we find out that there, are, there are, are realities we don't see and should be very fearful to us. Listen to Ephesians 2, 2. He says that, that there was a disobedience in which you once walked and you were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. That's what we're opposed by, and that's what we're opposing. And we have an ally in God, the Holy Spirit, who's come into us to help us fight this cosmic battle. It's, it's not a fair battle. God is superior, and Satan is inferior. And without God in us, we would be down here, woeful victims, because that's how we used to walk, just following the prince of the power of the air. But no, God has come into us. And the question is, why would God come into broken jars of clay and make us winners? And the only answer is grace. So as we look at this passage, this passage is not one for us to beat our chest and declare ourselves to be amazing. It is a passage of worship that there is someone in us who we don't deserve, who's greater than the attractive, alluring, deceptive spirits who would take us away from Jesus. Now, there is a reason that the world and society at large so glibly follows along with these lies. And verse 5 tells us about that. This says that they are from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. There is within our world an unimaginable echo chamber, a mutual admiration society. And my friends, lest we be arrogant, we used to be a part of that. We used to think that way. Until the Holy Spirit convinced us otherwise, we just went along with what society said about religion and spirituality, about getting right with God. 
And God was so gracious to us. This is what Romans has to say to us about the way the world resonates with this teaching. Romans 1 and verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why does society listen to lies about spirituality and about sin and shame, forgiveness, eternal life? Because their foolish hearts are darkened. And we were there Jesus tells us this. He said it was going to happen in John 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. This, this echo chamber of the world is in total opposition to Jesus. And we've got to test those and not believe those spirits. Jesus warned us against them. John is here. I'm going to read for you a few verses that Paul wrote just about how, how important it is. You know, we're getting these daily briefings and we're getting, it seems, weekly guidance on how we can avoid COVID-19. The Bible in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, but we're focused on the New Testament today, the, the, the Bible repeatedly gives us warnings to avoid false teaching like the plague. Here's one from Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 verse 17 says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. What sort of obstacles and divisions? Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. Put spiritual distance between you and them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And again, in Titus chapter 3, Paul says this, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. In verse 4, you have listeners who are from God. In verse 5, you have listeners who are from the world. And in verse 6, we go back to listeners who are from God. As he says this, we are from God. Whoever knows, God's li- whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As I mentioned earlier, the we or the us are the apostles. It's vital that we correctly identify that. And why do the apostles have authority? Well, the apostles have authority because they were the ones who, who were with Jesus, who heard him teach. They were the ones who saw the resurrected Jesus and they were commissioned by Jesus. There were 11 of them, excluding Judas, of course. There were 11 of them. And then Paul, though he did not walk with Jesus, he, um, after the fact, was taught by Jesus directly. The book of Acts and Galatians tell us that. 
Paul on the road to Damascus saw the resurrected Jesus and he was most certainly commissioned by Jesus. So there were 12 apostles in the New Testament and they were the ones who took the message of Jesus out into the world. There are no apostles today, but there were apostles then. I cannot claim the status of an apostle. All I can do is bring you the message of the apostles as it's given to us in the word. And that's where our authority is. Our authority is in the apostles' message written down in the Bible, copied, translated, and printed for us today. The real message is where does authority lie? Can we just make up Jesus? Can we just make up teaching? Well, that makes the authority human beings. The authority is in the apostles and what they received from Jesus, who is the ultimate authority, the final authority. And John reminds us that some will listen and some will not listen. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 tells us why that is. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Why is it that some people believe false teaching? I I don't have a comprehensive answer, but I've jotted down a few different reasons that that people will fall into false teaching. And, And one of the reasons that, or many of the reasons, that we warn Christians. Sometimes people fall into false teaching because they just like it. Something that draws them. Other times people fall into false teaching because it demands less of them. It makes Christianity easier. In some cases, it sounds more respectable to listen to the false teaching. Sometimes people just want something new and novel. They're tired of the old-fashioned religion, and so they succumb to false teaching. Others want something that's kind of urban, genteel, or cool. Other people want something creative. They find the the God of the Bible to be boring and bland. And other people want that secret knowledge that's unknown to the masses. There are all kinds of attractive ways, but we go back to what Paul says, that that spiritual people are spiritually discerning because the Spirit is living in them. And my friends, maybe you're tempted by some of these reasons to listen to false teaching. I urge you, I beg you to resist them. And I urge you to pray as we pray for you that God would deliver you from the evil of these false teachings. You know, we pray around our dinner tables. We pray as pastors around conference room table that that our people within our church and friends and family and those we know would be protected from COVID-19. We should also pray that all of us would be protected from false teaching. You know, as we think about this topic, we recognize that sincerity of beliefs is not enough. Accuracy in belief is paramount. That accuracy is never to inflate our own pride because John, as we've seen today, is humbly serving these believers the truth. But he is absolutely clear that there are two mutually exclusive conclusions that cannot be correct simultaneously. So let us not slip into the actually unloving conclusion 
that as long as a person believes something sincerely, they're okay. No, we need to deliver the message accurately. Because to be sincerely wrong is as bad as being insincerely right. We want people who are both accurate and sincere. I'm going to wrap up by just asking maybe a question that you've had in your mind for almost 40 minutes now. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Come on, one person has one opinion about Jesus and another person has another opinion. Well, here's the reality, my friends. The difference is the difference between being from God and not from God. We would like so much in our life to just make life about choices. Butter or margarine, Coke or Pepsi, Instagram or Snapchat, Ford or Chevy. Now, everybody come back to me, all right? Because some of you are fighting in your heads right now for your favorite among those. The things I just mentioned... It doesn't matter in the long run. I mean, it matters to you, but it doesn't have eternal consequences. But the matters of whether or not you believe correctly about Jesus do have eternal consequences. Your destiny and mine are determined by what we believe about Jesus. We, we, as I mentioned before, we believe Jesus is 100% God and 100% human so he can be our 100% Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer. And he can't do that if he's not both. This has eternal consequences. Jesus died in place of sinners having been tempted and never sinning. Jesus died in place of sinners a real physical death. They put him in the tomb and he was in that tomb two overnights and he rises on the third day because he's God. These things matter. And why did the death and resurrection matter? Not just so that we can be inspired in an otherwise difficult time in our nation's history. These things matter because they're meant to change us from the inside out. They're meant to make us little children of God by faith. Are you one of God's little children? I know that sounds almost demeaning to ask. But the Bible says that there are either children of God or children of the devil. There are no in-between children. Maybe you're listening to this and you are not a child of God. But you can be. You can be if you will acknowledge that you're a sinner and your sin deserves to be punished and you deserve to take that punishment. You deserve hell. But Jesus, in his love and in his grace, he lived obediently and perfectly in your place and he died in your place and he rose again so that he could rip you out of the kingdom of darkness and he could make you one of his father's children with him and like him so that you could be from God. This, my friends, is why it's such a big deal. Because people's destinies are determined by what they believe. I want to wrap up today with some words from Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He said, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what 
is good. We don't accept everything. We don't reject everything. We test everything. We avoid false teaching like COVID-19, and we hold on to that teaching, which is true. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are reminded in this passage that in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. So we ask for your Holy Spirit's help to, to help us to test the spirits accurately. God, we don't want the wrong vaccine. We don't want the wrong medicine. We want, we want the right stuff that will heal our naturally sick souls. We ask you to help us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for looking at the word with us today. As the weeks wear on and as it wears on us, please be reminded that we love you and the church loves you. I've heard numerous conversations of people talking to other people within our church, and it's so wonderful to hear. If you get worn down and discouraged, I encourage you to come back to this recording, listen to the music, put on some good music you have that points you to the Lord, pick up the phone, call a brother and sister in Christ, pick up the phone and call a friend here at Bethel, Give one of your ABF teachers or care leaders a call. Give one of the pastors here a call. We'd be more than happy to talk to you. We want to, in this time of being apart, help each other together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you.